This is your Olympic hero and former WWE champion, Kurt Angle. And I just wanted to give a shout out to my guys, Clint and Noah. When it comes to covering sports, there is no one better. And believe me, that's true. It's damn true. Kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine right, jet flying, son of a gun. I am the best in the world at what I do. Gentlemen. You are the top 1%. The elite. Best of the best. But the cream will rise to the top, oh yeah. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. You are now listening to the Elite Sports Podcast. Brought to you by Mo Sports in Liberty. The pinnacle of hard-hitting sports talk. Featuring weekly expert analysis and top-notch interviews. And now, please welcome your hosts, Clint Schweitzer and Noah Groniger. Welcome to another edition of the Elite Sports Podcast. Clint Schweitzer alongside Noah Groniger. We are back at you. We are about to say goodbye to 2018. 2019 is on the horizon, but a lot of business left to tend to here in 2018 as we put a nice little ribbon on the college football season on this very show. Noah, the college football playoff committee has, uh, they have made their decision. The four teams are in. We are going to, we're ready to go here and we're going to bring on Fox Sports Tim Brando to talk about this. And something tells me he's not going to be happy about what this committee's done. I don't know how you can be. I mean, you look at it and uh, Georgia gets left out. Yes, they have two losses, but they play a tougher schedule than in Oklahoma in the Big 12. He gets to play Iowa State and Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma State, Kansas, teams like that. But, I mean, you're looking at Georgia being left out. Yes, Kirby Smart shouldn't have done that uh, fake punt with uh, Justin Fields in there. But they played Alabama. They had a 14-point lead. I don't see how you leave them out. They want Kyler Murray in there, uh, who's up for the Heisman, alongside Tua Tagovailoa with uh, Alabama. So they want that Heisman matchup, uh, the two front runners going at it. So I don't agree with it. I don't agree with UCF being left out, but that's just how it is right now until we can move to a 6-18 and playoff. We're going to talk to Tim Brando about the fact, uh, and he's been very adamant on Twitter. He was on the Paul Feinbaum show earlier this week talking about the fact there needs to be eight teams in this, and I think that you're echoing those exact same sentiments. I agree with both of you two. Um, and my argument about this, and I, and I battled with people on social media um, on Saturday after the SEC championship game for, for hours, because a lot of people seem to think that Oklahoma, yeah, of course they would jump Georgia. They won the Big 12, put them right in there. Georgia has two losses. Well, here's my question to you. Georgia was fourth, and Oklahoma was fifth on Saturday. What in the world happened? And we're taking away everything else. We're talking about the top four teams here. So what happened to switch that around? What, what happened on the field that day to switch that around as Georgia dominated Alabama for, for three quarters and Oklahoma with a sort of a pedestrian went over Texas? What happened to change that around? Unless we're talking about, oh, you know, things that aren't supposed to be factored in, like, you know, what, what fan outrage and, you know, taking care of this conference or that conference or looking at matchups, is that, that had to be what happened here to, to, for that to happen because the top four teams are not in this tournament. They're not. 
Oh, absolutely not. I mean, you've got Notre Dame in there, and that messes things up for the Power Five conferences when you're, if you're talking about two SEC teams and an ACC team getting in, then you're leaving out the Big 12, you're leaving out the Pac-12, you're leaving out the Big 10. That's three Power Five conferences you're leaving out, and the committee was just flipping out. They couldn't have it. They couldn't have three Power Five conference fan bases coming after them, and they, this is a television show to them. They have the two Heisman front runners going at it. And so uh, the better team, Georgia, gets left out in the cold, and it's unbelievable, as well as you feel for UCF that's not being an 18 playoff, that they go undefeated two years in a row. Their starting star quarterback gets dropped and injured, and uh, they go out, and they're down to Memphis. They come back and win to go undefeated, and they're still left out in the cold. Uh, now they got to go and play LSU, who's uh, they've got players getting ready for the NFL Combine. Greedy Williams, I know their corner is not going to be playing. He's getting ready for the Combine. Uh, so you just feel for UCF and you feel for Georgia, who put up a hell of a performance against Alabama. Should have come out with that win. They didn't, but it was close. And like you said, Oklahoma, pedestrian, uh, squeaker win against a Texas team that I don't think anyone is really impressed with. No, they're not. We're going to talk to Tim about, uh, is, this a, is this a fair consolation prize for, for UCF? They get another shot at an SEC team, but again it would be a lot more exciting and more fair for them if this was in a college football playoff setting. Eight teams would be just so perfect, five at-larges. You know what it would mean? That Northwestern and Ohio State meant something on Saturday. That game meant nothing. Ohio State was never going to jump into this thing. And Northwestern at 8-4 and four had a chance to get into the college football playoff with a win over Ohio State, which in this scenario, in an 18 playoff, I think that's warranted. And that would make these games so much more exciting. Everyone talks about how wonderful the college football regular season is, and it is. We know that for a fact. We just went to 14 different SEC football games in 14 weeks. We just got back from doing that trip. We know how important it is and how exciting it is. But really, you, this is a scenario where you, a, a loss, two, you're done. Your season's over. So how exciting is it really when we eliminate so many competent teams so early in the season? Is it really as exciting as they like to make it out to be? Oh, absolutely not. I don't think you can make that case at all. And uh, you, you look at Georgia, they lost to LSU, they lost to Alabama. I mean, those are two better teams than Texas to me. Obviously, Alabama is. I think LSU is a better football team than a Texas team. Yeah, Oklahoma lost to them the first time. They avenged their one loss on the season. So what? Georgia was up. Uh, beating Alabama by 14. They lost to a really good LSU team. I think you have to put them in. I don't see how you can come out and uh, have a straight face and tell everyone you, you've got the four best teams when clearly to me you haven't. Uh, but another interesting thing to me would have been if Oklahoma, or, uh, Ohio State would have been higher up in this thing, if they would have been the fifth team, uh, what, what the committee would have done there, if they would have uh, left them out uh, because of the domestic violence and the Urban Meyer situation and how he might retire and uh, just all they're dealing with off the field, uh, how this is a television program, if they would have got pushback on that. So even if they felt they were one of the four best teams, they leave them out uh, uh, because of the off the field situation, the domestic violence thing that Urban Meyer uh, got mud on his face before the season with that whole situation. So uh, we'll talk to Tim Brando a little bit about that too, uh, the Urban Meyer situation. So I just think that would have been another interesting scenario here. You're right about that. And we're going to get into some more, um, you know, some more SEC topics and more college football topics with him. Um, including uh, Urban Meyer and, and his retirement. We're going to talk to him about an interesting development that took place uh, early this week as uh, Kelly Bryant uh, announces yes. he will transfer to Missouri. A huge coup for Barry Odom, who is uh, in the process of getting a new contract right now. The Board of Curators is meeting to uh, th this week to extend him and, uh, into the $3 million range and add a couple years onto that contract. 
man, Barry Odom really has some momentum going here at Missouri. It's been slow moving at times. If there's been occasions, even this season, where Missouri fans seemingly wanted to move on from this coach, but the Tigers finish eight and four. You replace Drew Locke with an incumbent, with a you know a proven quarterback that led uh, Clemson to the college football playoff in 2017. Trevor Lawrence comes in. We were actually at the game against Texas A&M where Clemson you know went with um, with Lawrence for the first time, and we saw Kelly Bryant throw some magnificent deep balls to keep Clemson ahead early in that game. But that was the last we really saw of Bryant. He moves on to Missouri. Missouri has a plethora of young talent coming back next year at receiver at, at their running game. The running backs may be the top trio in the country. And then you add Kelly Bryant to this. Where do you see this going for Barry Odom? We're going to talk to Tim Brando about it. But, man, this looks good for Missouri and, and good on them for pulling this coup off. Well, you took the words out of my mouth twice there by using the word coup. This is a gigantic coup for Barry Odom and the Missouri Tigers. Auburn was in the mix. Florida was in the mix earlier. And how Missouri pulled this off, I will never know, but it is just enormous for this program. You're losing Drew Locke to the NFL. You're sitting there scrambling for a quarterback. What are we going to do? We're not sure what we have. And now you get Kelly Bryant, the starting quarterback for the Clemson Tigers to begin this season. And and now he's moved on. He's still a Tiger, but he is a Missouri Tiger. This is just going to keep the program on a roll, keep them on a level playing field up there, uh, challenging at the top of the SEC East. This is unbelievable in Barry Odom. Like you said, we thought earlier this year when he was losing to uh, Kentucky and South Carolina, is this it? Is he gone? Or have we just lost this coach and we're on our way looking for a new direction for this program, but no, he's going to get a contract extension. He's found a way to snag Kelly Bryant. Like you said, a gigantic coup and good things ahead for Missouri. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be talking some more college football um, as the bowl games get closer and as the college football playoff emerges here um, in late December and early January. But uh, from here on out, we're going to be doing a lot of national football league because here in Kansas city, We've been kind of a source, a lot of excitement, a lot of controversy. We're going to be actually talking to former uh, Chiefs cornerback uh, Kevin Ross. Rock is going to be joining us um, later in the show to talk about you know, what he sees out of this Chiefs defense, what he thinks of the Kareem Hunt situation. He's basically pining for a job. He says, hey, bring me in. Uh, he was a cornerbacks coach, uh, defensive backs coach at, uh, for the Arizona Cardinals. And he's saying, hey, bring me in. Uh, Emmett Thomas might be close to retiring at age 75. Kevin yeah, Ross is going to nine years, 75 years old. Can't thank him enough for all he's done, but he's looking to retire. Uh, helped uh, the Kansas City Chiefs win their first and only Super Bowl, which is devastating for us fans uh, to know that uh, we haven't won since 1970. We haven't been there since 1970. Uh, hopefully Mahomes can lead the charge and take us back there. As the, we're the, right now the number one seed uh, for the AFC if the playoffs were to start today. But we lost Kareem Hunt. The video surfaces. He lied about it back in February to the Chiefs. And the Chiefs move swiftly, decisively. They cut him. I disagree with it. I think you let the NFL put him on the exempt list. You let him suspend him. And if you want to suspend him further than that after that because he lied to you, do that. But you cannot cut a player of this caliber. You get him the help. And you let the process go. You let him get suspended. And you bring him back. I, even if it's next year, if you sit him the rest of the season or the suspension even goes on into next season. And he misses some training camp or mini camps because he's suspended and you don't want him with the team. That's fine if he's still getting the help. But you cannot cut a player of this caliber. It crushes the Chiefs' chances this season as they sign Char Kendrick West to come back. you got Spencer Ware, Damian Williams, Darrell Williams. You've got a running back by committee, but none of it is worth a damn in that backfield. We have no running game. It's going to be all on Mahomes, which 
if you're going to have it on somebody's shoulders, it is strictly a passing game. I'm glad it's Mahomes, but I think we're just going to come up short in the playoffs. It's not going to be enough. We're going to need to, to uh, control the ball and run some clock at the end of games. We're not going to be able to do it, and that's going to be our downfall. Well, you know, as you look at the AFC right now, I want to know uh, of the top teams, and I'm telling you, none of them are going away. You've got uh, the Texans, you've got the Chargers, you've got the Patriots all in the rear view, and they're close. They're riding your bumper right now if you're a Chiefs fan. But of those teams, I want to know who has the best running game out of those three that we that you need to be so scared about. I want to know who, with Melvin Gordon dealing with injury with the Chargers, um, I, I don't really know who you can point to to say, oh my God, that's the running game I wish the Chiefs had to get this going. I mean, I still think the Chiefs are a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Um, looking at these teams, I, you've got the Chargers have to come in here. The Chargers have to go back to Denver where they've already lost a game uh, early this season. So, you know, for, for, if you're the Chiefs, I think you can still find um, a shred of optimism, even though your defense is still failing you miserably. I think that's where you look instead of looking at this running game, which is great, trying to bring back Shark Hendrick West, trying to, uh, you know, make Spencer Ware uh, a feature running back. But, you know, what other AFC team really scares you with the running game right now? Well, I mean, you've got the Pats. They use uh, the short passing game as their run game. Julian Edmund, James White is dangerous out of the backfield. The Chiefs don't even have that opportunity with Spencer Ware and Damian Williams. They're just not dynamic enough. Uh, you've got, uh, I guess you can do something with Tyreek Hill. That comes into play. The the jet sweeps and the screens. Does Tyreek Hill use that as your run game? So that can be, he can even take some handoffs out of the backfield, although he can't be your feature back like a Ty Montgomery moving from receiver to running back did for the Packers. The Texans, Lamar Miller, he can get it going. He's explosive. Uh, you're not super scared of him. Uh, the Steelers, you've got James Conner, although he does have that high ankle injury. That can be nagging, so that looks good. Melvin Gordon also injured. But if those guys come back, then you are somewhat scared of run games. But I just think the Chiefs need that to get through some of these hurdles that they're going to have in the playoffs when you're going to need to keep Tom Brady off the field. You're going to need to drain clock. Uh, I just think they're going to need that, and they're not going to have it. There's going to be third and ones. They're going to get stuffed, and you're going to give the ball back to a Tom Brady, uh, Deshaun Watson, a Ben Roethlisberger, a Phillip Rivers, and, and they're going to kill you at the end of the game, and it's going to be devastation again, once again, for the Kansas City Chiefs. You sure hope not. I mean, this would be this would just be heartbreaking, and, and what a season it's been, and, and, and how good the Chiefs have been, and Patrick Mahomes has 41 touchdown passes, 4,000 yards already, um, you know, it's it, it's been a dreamlike season until what happened, and you look at it, and you know I I understand the the concept of of really trying to get a player help and trying to go on, but we we since this has happened, we've heard of other reports, we've heard of other situations where Kareem Hunt beat a man senseless at Mosaic, and clearly there are some representatives, there are some people that are in Kareem Hunt's life that have just gone around cleaning up the messes. I mean that's that's fact. Uh, you know I, I I've heard about autograph signings where he's shown up at and then. They try to keep him from drinking. They try to make sure that no one's bothering him or that he doesn't get into a scrape with fans. I mean, clearly, this was building. This is, you know, again. Yeah, he had that Sunday conversation with Lisa Salter saying, this isn't who I am. But I think we have three incidents now, two in Cleveland, one in Kansas City that you just mentioned. Uh, so maybe this is who he is, and he's got to get the help. I'm not sure why the Chiefs, uh, when the Chiefs drafted Tyreek Hill, they immediately got him help and uh, helped him through some things. When the Chiefs have known about this, Kareem Hunt said, uh, during that Sunday conversation with Lisa Salter sit down that he hasn't gotten any, any counseling. He'll think about that. That might be something he'll do. Why, why didn't the chiefs already have him in something? 
Uh, did that make him look more guilty and maybe people would look more into it? I don't know, but I don't think the Chiefs' hands are clean in any of this, so I don't know why they jumped to conclusions and ju jumped so decisively in cutting him. Uh, I just don't think that was the move that immediately, that quickly. But uh, moving forward and looking ahead into this, you're looking at running backs maybe in the draft next year to fill this position. Uh, you've got Bryce Love from Stanford, who hasn't had the season many thought he would. Um, so you're looking at that as maybe not a strong option to come in and fill the role that Kareem Hunt did, uh, one of the top five, top three backs in the league, and now the Chiefs are without that. And uh, Damian Harris uh, from Alabama is another, the other one that looks uh, to be a mid to late first-round pick um, out of running back. Those look to be the only two guys. Uh, now, obviously, you can find guys later on that maybe we aren't talking about or don't know about as we Kareem Hunt out of Toledo wasn't talked about a lot, but he came in and did something. So you just hope for the best. Yeah, I mean, you got Philip Lindsay in Denver with a thousand yards as an undrafted free agent. It's, you know, it, but I think exactly. that there is a, there is a premium on dynamic running backs that, that didn't exist maybe for three or four years. You saw Leonard Fournette go first. He hasn't really done much in the league, been injured. But man, you when you identify him, and there's there's guys out there. You know, the Alvin Kamara's, um, the Todd Gurley's, and certainly the Kareem Hunts. Uh, and, and the but uh, Le'Veon yeah. Bell's out there, but I don't think Chief, the Chiefs will be able to afford him with. Um, the, the guys they have coming up that they're going to have to pay, the Tyreek Hills, Patrick Mahomes eventually is going to uh, cost a lot. And having Eric Berry and Justin Houston uh, on your roster is uh, uh, really sucking the funds. Well, <laughs> we'll ask Kevin Ross <laughs> later on about that, about uh, maybe getting Eric Berry back, maybe playing. Most Sports and Liberty, your one-stop shop for authentics, apparel, and gifts. Shop Most Sports off Cedar Avenue in Kansas City. Call 816-781-3393 or visit shopmosports.com. Hey, Tim. Thanks so much for joining us, my friend. Uh, I tell you, there's, you've been the subject of kind of a Twitter firestorm here this week, as I've seen. You, we're on, you go on the Paul Feinbaum show and stuff just, stuff just starts happening, doesn't it? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, well I, you know, the crux of your argument here is, you know, revolves around the college football playoff, and I think that's what we should start with here. And I want to get kind of your your, your take here because I, I think for you, is it as simple as this needs to be eight teams um, that the committee is not getting this right? Kind of talk about what your argument is going into this thing. Yeah, well, people are going to read and or I've even seen some bloggers, you know, center in on just what I said about. Uh, Clemson and, and Alabama chapter four. And um, yeah, I don't think that game's going to deliver the kind of rating and the kind of viewership that, that it should, because we've seen this act before it has nothing to do with whether those two teams are the best teams they are right now. And I think probably will roll through their, their games that they play in the, in the semifinals. It was about, and is always about access and lack of access uh, the exclusionary practices of college football, which continue. Uh, and there seems to be no resistance uh, to, to change. At, um, that, that, that the bottom line is um, we're going to keep this the way it is because it's our exclusive club. We get the money, so why, why should we worry about growing the sport? See, if you love college football as I do, I love the game, not the teams. Name your team. I'm not for that team. Um, that's not my job. It's not what I do. I, uh, I promote the product as best I can. I try to deliver uh, college football in its grandest form with all the pomp and pageantry, history and tradition that is humanly possible every time I go out and call a game. 
But the people that are in governance of college football, they are the ones with the, the charge to move it forward, to make it better. And I don't see that happening. I see five commissioners concerned about the coffers of their particular conferences and taking care of their constituencies only. Who's looking out for the betterment of the game totally? Who's looking out for growing the game and getting more excitement around the entire geography of our country? I don't see that. Uh, you know, the Big Ten is out for the second consecutive year. That's where the most homes are in this country for college football. That's what drives ratings. That's what drives popularity. We should be seeing numbers that are resembling AFC and NFC championship games in the college football playoff, and we are not. Uh, and again, we have a committee that is uh, uh, continually practicing uh, situational ethics and they'll use whatever piece of nebulous criteria they want to justify their decision. The charge of the committee in college football when this was put together uh, after the debacle of the 2011 LSU-Alabama rematch in the godforsaken BCS was to get the four best teams. There's no justification uh, or backup that they got the four best teams. And, you know, they'll use record when they want. They'll use the 13th data point when they want. Uh, it wasn't needed, the 13th data point for Alabama last year. They got in. It wasn't needed for uh, Notre Dame this year. They got in. It was needed for TCU. wonder why in 2014 they fell from number three to number six and Ohio State got in. It's whatever's convenient at a given time. Uh, it is fundamentally flawed. It is uh, completely filled with lies from week to week about the cleaning of the slate and the committee is doing this and the committee is doing that uh, and no transparency whatsoever. So I think it's, um, it's, it's, it's borderline corrupt uh, in not allowing uh, those teams that go out as UCF has done and as other teams have done. Georgia just proved that they were better than number four in the country, not worse. They dropped them from four to five after they controlled Alabama for three and a half quarters of a football game. I mean, the script that was written by their quarterback to go out and do what he did, what Jalen Hurts did was incredible. And without that, Georgia wins the game. Now, you're going to tell me that Alabama would not have been the number four team and Oklahoma would have been left out had, had Georgia won? I guarantee you Alabama would have been in. All you need to do is where, see where uh, Georgia is versus where Ohio State is as a conference champion with one loss. So uh, yeah. it's... That's the point. That is the point. Now, if that's too long to make your headline, I'm sorry. I don't give a damn. I care about what's good about the game and what's better for the game, and we're not doing anything to make the postseason any better other than fill the coffers of the haves and tell those that are competing uh, anywhere other than in the haves category that you don't have a shot. You never have and you never will. Yeah, Tim, Tim I, I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, just UCF being undefeated the last two seasons and being left out, uh, whether we need to be a six or 18 playoff. And then uh, Georgia getting left out versus Oklahoma. Georgia, like you said, had that game in control. Jalen Hurts comes in. Great story where he lost his job previously mm -hmm. to Tua. And also your thoughts on that Kirby Smart fake punt at midfield uh, when he had Justin <laughs> Fields come in and run that fake punt. Seems like everybody saw it coming and uh, it just didn't make a lot of sense there. No, but but that being said, I still think Georgia is one of the four best teams. <laughs> you know? And don't get me wrong, I'm happy Oklahoma gets its chance, 
But there were there, there was a lot of gerrymandering in that committee room to try to shoehorn another team in. They, they clearly they knew from a political point of view they were going to be nuked if they had three. And I was pointing this out throughout the course of the year. Three of the five power conferences could be left out, all because of Notre Dame. The Notre Dame existence, okay, the mere fact that they were there and they knew they couldn't do anything about them was the reason why uh, they were they were staring if they had brought Georgia in, three teams being left out out of three power conferences. And politically, they knew they just were not going to be able to pull that off. And that, that's, that's kowtowing to the process of impropriety. I mean, that's what this is. Um, as for the decision that the coach made, I don't understand why uh, former Saban assistant coaches feel like they have to reach into a bag of tricks or try to get cute when they're in control of a game, but it's happened uh, many times over to former Nick assistants, and Kirby Smart made a mistake there. He gave up a lot of field position he did not have to give up, and he also told his team that had been dominating Alabama that he didn't believe that without a trick that they could beat them. So I, I just don't get it at all. Um, makes no sense to me. But uh, Alabama went out and did the, what they always do. They took advantage, and they went out and won the game. So, look, uh, Nick Saban's an incredible coach. That's the other thing. If you see most of the Twitter storm, it comes from the Alabama base, and they are, um, especially on Twitter, the most vile of the fan bases out there. I got a lot of friends in Alabama, uh, a lot of friends that I visit, and I probably vacation more and speak more in that state than any other. And they're extremely passionate. But they always miss the point. And on Twitter, which has now become a cesspool similar to that of uh, message boards around the country with anonymous people going after you personally and your family personally uh, and not understanding your point of view, your purview, if you will, uh, that kind of comes with the territory. Well, I'll tell you what, Tim, um, no consolation prize for Georgia, of course, but for UCF, there is a bit of one because they do get a chance at an SEC team for the second straight year. This time, it'll be in the Fiesta yeah, Bowl against well, LSU. Well, well, yeah, uh, well let's, let's cool the Jets there a little bit. <laughs> They're just going to call that a glorified exhibition, just like they did last year's game. Uh, sure. two, of the, two of LSU's best corners are already out. They're already getting ready for the combine. They're not going to play. So the built-in excuses are already there. Imagine if they were playing Clemson in a two-versus-seven game and we had this thing seeded from one through eight. How much excitement do you think there would be for that? Huh? A lot more. Versus, yeah. this game, versus, this, versus this game played at 10 o'clock in the morning mountain time out in the desert. Um, no, I'm sorry. Uh, these bowl games, and I don't need to see Michigan-Florida again either. Uh, the, the, the bowls of the New York of the New Year's Six – even in the aftermath of the college football playoff games, they're awful. They're awful. How? How? I mean, I, other than maybe the Georgia-Texas game, and I, I guess for Urban Meyer getting to coach in a Rose Bowl and going out against Washington in a pure Pac-12 uh, Big Ten Rose Bowl, uh, that, that that may be somewhat entertaining. But the rest of these matchups, I mean, how many how many people would have preferred seeing Georgia play Michigan versus Georgia Florida? It's, it's it's bad, okay? They have ruined the rest of the bowl season. The college football playoff has, in effect, ruined the rest of the college football bowl. Nobody cares. And the matchups are politically uh, patched in together to make sure certain teams don't play certain teams. You think UCF gets more out of playing a glorified exhibition with LSU, or would they have earned a lot more had they played Florida? 
How much more would it have meant to UCF to have played Florida than LSU? A ton. And the committee didn't want to have that happen. Yeah, well, uh, Tim, moving away from uh, these bowl games, a team that won't be in a bowl game, Kansas. But they've hired a new coach, going a new direction with Les Miles, formerly of LSU. He's been in the Big 12, formerly uh, Oklahoma State head coach. What's your thought on Les Miles? It's a different game played uh, in the Big 12 than it is in the SEC, but he's familiar with that. Uh, as I mentioned, his time at Oklahoma State. What are your thoughts on Les Miles leading uh, the Kansas Jayhawks football program now? Well, I love the hire. And as you guys know, um, during the time in which Kansas had the job open, I suggested they do it. So did Scott Van Pelt. And I uh, was really glad to see Jeff Long pull the trigger here. I think he brings them, I think he brings Kansas instant credibility. The other thing he also does is enhance their base. You know, Jeff Long's got a tough job. Kansas is one of the few um, institutions in a Power Five conference that doesn't fully fund 85 scholarships. I mean, think about that. Uh, in a lot of ways, uh, Kansas in football is a group of five job in a Power Five league, and they needed a name, uh, a well, a well-respected name in college football, who they can now say is one of four of the active coaches in college football that has a national championship. Mac Brown going to North Carolina uh, being the other that can go along with Saban uh, and Jimbo Fisher. So that, that puts Kansas in some rarefied air. I think it'll also help them in terms of fundraising, and that's something Jeff knows he's got to do, both from a scholarship standpoint and a facility standpoint. Uh, the other thing is that Les can put together a staff, a very credible staff, quickly, and he knows how to recruit Texas. And Kansas has had you saw the end of the season, and I had that Oklahoma-Kansas game. Uh, David Beatty actually did leave the place in a better position than he, than he inherited from Charlie Weiss. So they've got some talent there. They just need more of it. Uh, they ran out of gas in the Oklahoma game, but for really two and a half to almost three quarters, they were right there in that game against a team that is now in the college football playoff. So a lot of that young talent that they have is in the state of Louisiana. So Les will be able to recruit Louisiana to go along with Texas, as he did when he was at Oklahoma State. Uh, and I think that uh, his, his offensive coordinator, when that hire is made, you're going to see that he's going to do an about-face with, re with, with regard to what his image was uh, as a three yards and a cloud of dust, Big Ten offensive lineman type head coach. I think he's, he understands that you've got to score points to win in the Big 12, and, and he'll light it up. I think that um, – uh, whoever he brings in, it'll be a noteworthy hire and someone that, uh, again, will excite the Kansas fan base. Well, here at uh, University of Missouri, big news for the Tigers uh, yesterday, Tim, is Missouri lands the, the, the transfer of Kelly Bryant. Coming into a Missouri team that went 8-4, and four, could, have, could have possibly been 10-2, and two, losing a couple plays on the last, games on the last play of the game. Just talk about the job that, that Barry Odom has done here at Missouri. I know you haven't seen the Tigers uh, this year, but uh, talk about what he's done. It looks like a new contract is uh, on the on the horizon for him, and, and getting Kelly Bryant has got to be a huge coup for him going forward. Yeah, you know, I saw Locke, uh, quarterback, in the open on what was not a good performance um, with uh, Heupel as the OC and, at West Virginia a couple of years back, and they've really grown a lot since then. Uh, Barry needs to be credited. I think also in the acquisition of uh, Kelly Bryant, which is big news. I mean, big news for Missouri's future to get him away from uh, Arkansas and Auburn, which I thought most people felt would be the odds on favorites to get Kelly Bryant. 
as a grad transfer. The reason is because of what Locke was able to do and how he really did improve um, under Derek Dooley as offensive coordinator. This is another career resurrection, I think, that's taken place. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with why uh, they were able to land Kelly Bryant. Uh, I think Missouri is is probably the upstart team in the in the East that's going to battle Georgia a lot more quickly than uh, people realize. I know Florida's getting a lot of run, and understandably so. Uh, Mullen did a very good job, but he, you know, they still haven't found that really outstanding quarterback yet. Philip uh, Franks did okay. Um, we'll see how they do in the bowl game, but I think Missouri is here to stay. Uh, with especially with Derek calling the shots from an offensive standpoint uh, for Barry Odom. Um, th- th- I think the, the future is indeed bright, no question about that. Well, Tim, moving on to the big news that uh, just came down a few days ago, Urban Meyer stepping down after the Rose Bowl, Ohio State and Washington. Uh, he was seen earlier this season against Maryland, I believe, on a knee after a touchdown. There's been uh, talks of his uh, health concerns, or is this just kind of – health concerns slash the domestic violence uh, that happened earlier uh, in the season, and it's just kind of good timing for him that he uh, steps down and uh, Ryan Day take over as his successor? I don't, I'm not going to speculate on the, uh, on the health factor because there's so many things that we don't know, but uh, I, do, uh, I am privy to some people that have met with him privately in preparation for games, and uh, even though I didn't have Ohio State in any of my broadcasts this year, and I, th- I think that the health concern is real, uh, but there's no getting around the fact that uh, those awkward news conferences, the one in Chicago at the Big Ten meetings that started it all, and then the follow-up with uh, the AD and the president and the decision to suspend him for three games at the start of the year in Columbus um, figured into this process. Um, Ohio State clearly was a team that had turmoil and some issues within. In a lot of ways, I think they performed better when Urban wasn't on the sidelines this year, and they found out even more about the assistant. But when he was hired by Urban uh, in defense, I think Meyer knew that, that this was the guy that you'd want to hand off to uh, as a potential head coach. Uh, he was of that pedigree and was probably on his way to becoming a head coach very, very soon. You know, he was a Chip Kelly guy, uh, and his influence from an offensive standpoint was more in touch with that. So he wasn't going to be long as an assistant at Ohio State, and they knew that. Um, so being the part of the succession, I think, was maybe not as much in mind as it was with Lincoln Riley with Bob Stoops, but I think it was very apparent that Urban was thinking about the long term when he brought him in. Uh, and, and, and add to that the health issues and some of the concerns off the field that became a problem in the workplace for him with the people he was working for. Uh, this now becomes a really good succession that uh, allows Urban to leave with dignity, as he's deserved, with that gaudy record of his and seven straight wins over his rival, and to walk away from the game after coaching in the Rose Bowl, something he's never done. And as, as, as he mentioned yesterday, as an Ohio native, that means a lot to him. I think it's a win-win, you know, bo- both for Urban and for Ohio State. And I don't anticipate that he'll coach uh, in college again. Um, Coaching is an addiction. It's a little like broadcasting, so uh, you never say never, particularly if, uh, if a guy's 54 and has the, the record he has. You know, his name will pop up everywhere, and um, he'll have decisions to make along those, uh, those lines. But I, I think the next step for him, if he's going to make it, would be to the pros. But I, I don't see him doing the Cleveland thing, as some people have suggested on the Internet. 
I, I think that's far too soon. And I think he wants to enjoy uh, what he's done now at Ohio State and in, in his family. He's got a son that plays baseball at Cincinnati. Uh, he's got some daughters and now grandkids that I know he's real proud of. So I think he wants to enjoy himself and take a little bit of a sabbatical at the very least. Well, Tim, before we let you go, um, I know everyone's still um, you know, a buzz over uh, the college football playoff and some of the bowling announcements, but we've got to get your take on a little bit of basketball because I know you've done some games already. Always blows mm-hmm. my mind that the Big Ten is already doing uh, conference games. I know you've seen uh, Iowa and Michigan State, but man, mm-hmm. at the top, we got the Gonzaga Bulldogs. I don't know that a lot of people would have saw that coming without Kelly and Tilly early in the season, but they, you know, they were able to beat Duke. What have you seen uh, so far from uh, some of your college basketball travel? Well, you know, I, I got a good look at Seton Hall in Louisville, too, on Saturday and um, Villanova very early in the year, even before the loss to Michigan. Uh, and now I'm going to take a little bit of a break from it as I go to the NFL this Sunday with Arizona and Detroit. But uh, I've already done seven games. You know, it's very early in the season to say you've already done seven basketball games. And four of those were at the Las Vegas Invitational, uh, which was the final week of the regular season. That was Thanksgiving week. And, um, I did four basketball games and then uh, the college football game between Oklahoma State and TCU the next night. Uh, I, I see a lot of depth in the Big Ten. I think it's the deepest co- conference. Iowa uh, had a poor outing, but they're really good, much improved, uh, without a doubt. Now, they got a big test coming up with Iowa State in the aftermath of you know losing a home game because of poor shooting against Wisconsin and then getting boat raced by Michigan State. But they're pretty good. Uh, and I think a lot of other teams in the in the Big Ten are very good. Nebraska is a really tough out. Um, and, you know, the ACC with, with Duke and, and North Carolina, again, North Carolina is struggling. I know Roy's unhappy with them right now. But uh, I, I love Kobe White. I think he's going to be uh, maybe the fastest point since um, Ty Lawson. Uh, and, and in time, I think the, the Tar Heels will be fine. But the rest of that league, I think, is in some transition. So the, the ACC looks to be a little top-heavy to me. I think the Big Ten is deep, and I think probably uh, the Big 12, uh, you know, if you look at, at, at way, the way Texas played, and they did beat um, uh, a, a really good, uh, I mean, when you stop and think about it, that was a pretty good North Carolina team they beat. Uh, then they dropped the game to Radford. So they're a little inconsistent and young. I don't know who's really going to challenge Kansas uh, in the Big 12 this year. Uh, so I think the SEC, after the Big 10, is probably taking the biggest leap. Uh, and this was a league that only a handful of years ago, we got three teams into the uh, NCAAs. That that certainly changed last year. I think that league, with the emergence of uh, what Will Wade's done at LSU, and um, you know Auburn is certainly here to stay, it looks like, for Bruce Pearl. Uh, to go along with, with Kentucky's going to get a real challenge this year uh, in yeah. that league but from a lot of teams. Uh, and Florida's not going to go away either. So right now, and the, all the precincts aren't reporting, but I'd put the Big Ten SEC right now uh, ahead of the Big 12 among the Power Fives. And, of course, uh, the Big East and the American Athletic Conferences, in my mind, in, in college basketball, are every bit as powerful as, uh, as the so-called P5 in football. Well, Tim, I'll tell you what, we always appreciate your analysis and uh, such a huge fan of your work for Fox Sports and guys follow him uh, on Twitter at Tim Brandos and um, all your all you Alabama fans that listen, you know, he's still there at Tim Brandos. <laughs> uh, 
and, and Tim too, you know, we still, we still got to make this happen. It's, if it's the last thing we do, we, we interviewed so many wonderful people for our, for this sec documentary. We, we talked to Eli gold. We interviewed him on the porch at his home and we're like, we, we got to uh-huh. get back with Tim. We got to make this happen. So if, if we can get down to Shreveport, if you're ever in the Midwest doing a basketball game this year, just give us a shot and we will, we'll come make it happen. My friend. We'll do it. I, I look forward to doing it. And the fact that you want to include me in it uh, means a great deal. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Tim. I know, you know, it's hard to outshine Eli Gold and, and you know, especially on camera interviews. It's hard. It's hard to outshine <laughs> him. He's got a presence about him, you know, so we were we were able to do so many <laughs> interviews with so many wonderful people. And, you know, you're you're uh, you mean a lot to us. And it means a lot that you do these interviews. And if you would do that for us as well, we just couldn't thank you enough. So we'll be in touch. We'll try to find a time and a place, my friend. Thank you so much. You bet. All the best. And it was great, as always, to catch up with our buddy, Tim Brando. Man, we've got to get, uh, we've got, we've, we tried to work it out. You know, we've had Tim on our show so many times. Um, he's, he's wanting to do this interview with us. Of course, we've been doing this SEC football documentary. We filmed it all throughout the season. And we're able to interview so many wonderful people like me and Timmy, Carlos Rogers, the Auburn Tiger, Inky Johnson from Tennessee, Eli Gold, the Bulls, the Crimson Tide. But we've got to get Tim Brando, and we uh, hopefully we're able to store that up there. And it's, uh, man, he's got some great, great things to say. He has a respiring, and he believes in college football and loves it, and you can just hear it in his voice. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've got to get him. We'll figure out a way, whether it's us going down to Shreveport or if he's calling a game in the Midwest. We'll figure it out. We'll get together with him. we got to have him in this film. Uh, so we'll, where there's a will, there's a way, and we will find the will. We'll find the way. And, uh, man, he had some strong words for this college football playoff, this committee, and uh, talks of uh, corruption and how uh, – the how they do things and how they're not uh, concerned about getting the four best teams. They're not concerned about making this a six or 18 playoff to be fair to the UCFs of the world and uh, how this is a television program to them and how they have an agenda that they've got to fill and they don't care about the four best teams. And he has some strong words and I completely wholeheartedly agree with Tim Brando on that. Yeah, I could not agree more. And he's, he's taken a lot of heat and a lot of flack on Twitter. I've just kind of following his Twitter feed. My goodness, people are just attacking him. Um, and I don't really understand why. I mean, he has mostly been Alabama fans, and he's the one that said on this show that if Alabama had lost that game, then they should still have been in as well. So I don't really understand, uh, you know, the, where the venom is coming from there. But Tim Brando, always a great guest. He's one of our favorites. I mean, he's one of the best in the business, Fox Sports. He does a great job for college football, from college basketball to the NFL. Tim is is one of the best. And um, you know what? Let's transition right into um, our second guest, which is, uh, Kevin Ross. He is the former Chiefs cornerback, former defensive backs coach for the Arizona Cardinals. Kevin, welcome to the show, man. How's everything going? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Uh, we're doing great. I tell you what, it's, it's it's so great to hear from you. So great to have you on. How's everything been going, man? I know we're we're right in the heart of football season. Uh, you know, the Chiefs are currently the one seed in the AFC. Life's good, my friend. How's everything going with you? <laughs> going pretty good. Not bad. Not bad. Well, Rock, uh, we know that uh, you were the defensive backs coach for the Arizona Cardinals uh, up until 2017. What are you up to now, my man? Uh, currently, right now, scouting for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, plan to get back into the get back on the field some kind of way. Uh, we'll see what happens. You know, things happen. I'm hearing things there in Kansas City as far as uh, maybe Emmett might be retiring, so maybe I can return there. You never know. 
Yeah, you mentioned it, uh, Emmett Thomas. He's been the Chiefs defensive back coach. He was a great defensive back for the Chiefs back in the Super Bowl era when they won uh, in the 60s. He's been here for nine seasons, but like you mentioned, you've been hearing rumors about him retiring. We've been hearing the same thing. He is 75 years old. So if the opportunity arose, would you come back to Kansas City and be our Chiefs defensive backs coach? (laughs) Uh, Be no question about that. I would definitely do that. I I mean, I got too many ties back there to not do that. And, uh, uh, you know, it's a good team. It's a good, it's a good football team. It's a good organization. Well, I'll tell you what, um, Kevin, as you look at this, well, you know, the one thing that it's, you know, as, as a former corner, as a former defensive backs coach uh, in the NFL, you look at this Chiefs team and, uh, you know, the, currently, I mean, the, the, this Chiefs pass defense has been, has been, you know, pretty bad. This Chiefs team is, ten, is uh, you know, sitting here at uh, 10 and 2. And the defense has been much maligned. I mean, I don't know if you get to see the Chiefs play a lot. I mean, you got Orlando Skandrick there and Kendall Fuller, um, who's played well at times. But do you see anything from this Chiefs secondary that you go, I mean, as a coach, you're like, oh, my God, they should be doing this. I mean, is there anything you see out of this Chiefs defense when you watch it play that stands out? Yeah, I see something. Where's Eric Berry? <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, you need, you need, you need a lead, you know, some leadership out there. And, you know, he, I think he provides that. You need some playmaking ability. I think he provides that. Uh, sometimes just one guy that makes a, a big difference in the deal. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play with four, I mean, three other guys that really, really knew what they were doing and things like that right there. The rules have changed a little bit. I mean, guys are they're, they're hesitant on how they tackle and things like that right there. Uh, I'm just glad I came along when I came along. I, I, I wouldn't have no money in my pocket. Yeah, you you know you could you could still you know touch the the receiver a little bit down the field. You could play bump and run coverage. You could do things that weren't going to get you flagged. I mean, you talked about the changes in the game, and I agree. The, the rules all favor the offense. The NFL loves these shootouts. They love you know quarterbacks throwing for forty one touchdowns like Patrick Mahomes has done. To, to me, there's the uh, they used to say quarterback was the hardest position to play in sports. I think it might be cornerback in the National Football League. Well, I, I agree with you on that. But the one thing that the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, have advantage of is it's a couple of things. The crowd is always there. The crowd's a big factor there. And then they're up on everybody for the most part. So they make you one-dimensional. So the ball's going to be in the air. You just, I mean, that's what you live for. As a cornerback or a safety, you, you make a team one-dimensional, then you, you have to make a, you know, Make plays on the ball. Oh, absolutely. Rock, we never got your uh, thoughts and opinion on this. Uh, the whole Marcus Peters thing. The Chiefs draft a corner number one. He's got some issues uh, at co- in college at Washington. Comes here, he's got some flags, some issues. Uh, he's raising his hand. He's sitting down for the national anthem. The fans here in the Midwest in Kansas City don't really like that. And some wonder if that's why he was let go. But let's just do a little hypothetical. Let's say you were the defensive backs coach during Marcus Peters' tenure here in Kansas City. Would you have fought for him to stay here? A corner that talented, a player you draft in the first round, that much talent in the secondary. People are liking him to Deion Sanders, and the organization's talking about letting him go. Would you have fought for him? Would you have said, I cannot lose this player in the secondary? We're trying to win games. Well, the one thing I know about Marcus Peters, and he's not by himself, is uh, every room in the National Football League that has cornerbacks in it, somebody's bipolar in there. You know, you got an attitude that you have to deal with. And this, mm-hmm. this is what you, this is the day's football. That's what it is. 
I mean, the the, the diva side is coming to the cornerbacks now. They, they, you have a brand. You have to find out, you know, how to deal with this guy and make things work. Uh, you don't want to give up too many playmakers on your team because, I mean, that's how you win ball games. It's a player's league. Make no mistake about it. I mean, I know oh, coaching is a big part of it, but it is a player's league. It, it absolutely is, Kevin. I mean, and, and as a player, uh, you came in here to Kansas City in 1984. You have an interesting career here because in 14 seasons in, in your Kansas City during your first run, you came uh, in the mid-80s when, when the Chiefs organization was down. Talk about the you know your growth as a player and the growth of the organization that you um, you know, experienced under Marty Schottenheimer when he got there in 1989, things really turned around. Um, you know, you, you win your first playoff game in 1991 against the Raiders. You get Joe Montana in 1993 and you go to the AFC title game. Just kind of take us through through your career and what the Chiefs organization was when you got there versus uh, when you left it. Oh, hey, well, when I first got there, I don't think, you know, half the team, I don't, I don't think, believed they could win. They were just basically, we just assembled this, you know, just playing, going going through the seasons. And then we start getting better players. We start getting the Derek Thomases. You start getting Neil Smiths and Christian Okoyas and all those kind of people uh, start working out real well. And then you got Marty Schottenheimer in here who, who taught us how to win. And then, uh, you know, things just start taking off. And then you got to the point where you start expecting to win. You knew you were going to win. You just didn't know how much you were going to win by. And so, well, I mean, it was a good experience. Talk about um, former coach Marty Schottenheimer um, and, and kind of what he instilled into you. We we had the pleasure of um, I know you've talked to Noah a little bit about this. We did a did a film for Marty Schottenheimer and we were able to to meet him this summer and at his home in, in South in uh, in Charlotte in North Carolina and, and we had a chance to spend the day with he and Pat and just kind of talk about some things. Of course, he's dealing with Alzheimer's. Just kind of talk about Marty and some of uh, some of your memories and dealings with Marty and what you think of him as as a person and a coach. Well, here's here's here's, here's what Marty did for me, and here's what he did for our team. Uh, he built the he built the attitude that we were not going to build our we we weren't going to beat ourselves. Everybody in the league knew what we were doing. Uh, we just executed so well that you couldn't really stop it on defense and things like that right there. So uh, he's a guy that teaches the fundamentals. Uh, he stresses the fundamentals. Uh, and that's what I try to do as a teacher uh, with, the, with the defensive backs that I've coached. I always try to put them in the, every scenario they're going to get into during the ball game so that when it comes to the ball game, they just react. They don't, they don't look shocked and lost out there. And uh, that's what I took from him. Well, we've got to move on to the uh, current playoff picture. The Chiefs are the number one seed in the AFC playoffs. So if they were to start today, but they lose Kareem Hunt. The video comes out. He lied to the organization. And a lot of people were thinking, okay, the NFL is going to put him on the exempt list. There's going to be a suspension. Maybe the Chiefs will suspend him further than that for lying to him. But they go ahead and move swiftly and decisively and cut their star running back, led the league in rushing last year, was coming on this year, had a slow start, but really coming on. He was an important asset and cog to this offense. He's gone. Where do you see the Chiefs now that Kareem Hunt is gone? And what do you think of that whole situation with Kareem Hunt now being out of the league? Oh, boy. I hope he gets back in. I know he made a crucial mistake. Uh, he made a big, big mistake. And, uh, I hope that other teams and other players uh, learn from that. Uh, should not have happened. Uh, the Chiefs are in a good spot. They... Uh, 
defense is going to be real key to for what they do and where they where they end up at. If their defense can, uh, you know, take the ball away a couple times and they can get home field advantage, uh, they should do pretty good. I think they'll I think they'll prevail this this year in uh, home field advantage. I don't think they'll have the same attitude they had last year. I think last year they thought that they, this you playing the arrowhead, you automatically win. And I think they realize that now that they have to play, just like they had to play on any other Sunday. Team I worry about probably for the Chiefs is probably the Chargers. Yeah. The Chargers have a well-balanced team. Uh, they're well-coached. They got good players in the, all the key spots. So the AFC West, uh, it's going to come down to the last week, in my opinion. Oh, I agree. The Chiefs have a big Thursday night game with the Chargers coming up. Uh, that'll probably tell who's going to win the division at that point. But uh, I don't know if you heard the news earlier this year before the trade deadline. The Chiefs are talking about addressing the corner position, looking out there, Janoris Jenkins. And a uh, former player of yours, uh, Rock, uh, we got Patrick Peterson was the rumor. Uh, the Chiefs are going <laughs> to trade for him. I don't know if you were paying attention to that, hoping that that would happen, hoping you would become uh, the defensive backs coach here in Kansas City soon, if not next year, uh, real soon here, and hoping that Patrick Peterson, one of your former players, would be there as well to greet you. Well, uh, that would be really nice if all that happened. What you said, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot. That's a lot to happen, though. That's a yeah. whole lot to happen. You know, that's a that's a. I don't know. I don't even know what to call that. It's like a dream. We'll see what happens. I don't know. But Pat's a good player. Yeah, he's he's he's. He's a good man. He's a better play. He's a better man off the field than he is on the field. So you you would really like him as a person and as an editor's player as well. Well, I tell you what, uh, Kevin, we we can't thank you enough. One of the toughest players we've ever seen play football here in Kansas City, and there was a lot of tough ones, especially on those defenses that you were a part of. But you were one of a kind, my friend. We're gonna get the word out there for you. We, you know, it would just be an honor. We would just love to see you. Uh, I, I, I want to say one, I want to say one other thing. I want to say one other thing. I, I I would really like for you guys to start pushing Albert Lewis or Deron Cherry for the Hall of Fame. I think it's a shame that the, one of those two guys right now not in the Hall of Fame. They they played their asses off. They have stats that, that matches everybody else's. And in their era, they can't do nothing. In their era, they were the best at what they did. I love and that. And I would put I, their I, stats in their, in their career against anybody's that uh that's in the Hall of Fame. That that's extremely important, especially a part. They were such a part as you were of the the renaissance of the of an organization. And in Duran Cherry, you're, you're absolutely right. Albert Lewis as well. Uh, you know, we're campaigning for Marty Schottenheimer to the Hall of Fame as well. So, you know, eighth all time. He should be in there as well. Right. So he's, yeah, we're, he should be in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kevin, thank you so much, my friend. We'll get we're gonna do the best we can for get all this out there. We hope we can see you here next year. We we love you and hope you're doing well. We'll see you soon, man. And let's uh, let's stay in touch, okay? Okay, you guys take care and uh, good luck to you the rest of the season. You bet. Thanks a lot. Always an honor, Rock. Thanks. Well, there you have it, Kevin Ross. Rock, he wants back in. Noah, if we had the ability, I think we just go ahead and make the hire right now and 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 try to have him sure up this secondary, man. Yeah, and I want to make his dream come true. Let's go ahead and also after the end of the season, trade for Patrick Peterson, bring him on over, a uh, former player of his with the Arizona Cardinals when he was defensive backs coach there. we got to make this happen. we got to get him in here as the new defensive backs coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. 
maybe he'll find a way to get Eric Berry on the field. And uh, he also gave us some other things to add to our to-do list. Uh, Albert Lewis and Jerron Cherry, we got to get them in the Hall of Fame. We're already working on Marty Schottenheimer. So uh, we're making a film. We've got to get uh, Tim Brando interviewed for this film. So our to-do list is filling up rapidly as the holiday season approaches. And uh, I don't know how we're going to find time, but we're just going to have to do it. We sure are. And I tell you, it's been a true pleasure. We want to thank everyone for, for joining us here on the Elite Sports Podcast, which, by the way, this might even be news to you, to my co-host here. Noah, we are also now available on, on Google Play and iTunes. So, hey! Right? We, we would kind of favored one of it. We had it on iTunes. Now it is also available on Google Play. So you've already got the app on both phones. If you're an iPhone user, if you're an Android user, you've got Google Play, you've got uh, Apple Podcasts. So we're there. Subscribe. We always appreciate the feedback. Our website. And uh, there's been a little bit of new content up there the last few days after you know, neglecting it for so long because, you know, of shooting a film, um, go to GASNsports.com and get all the information. Our, our website is there. Our, yeah, you make a film, the website, that happens. Yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hate it too much. I understand, you know, it's completely understandable. We are all, there's only two of us, ladies and gentlemen, and we can only do so much. There's only so much time to holiday shop, um, from my couch, by the way, uh, and, you know, shoot a film for 14 weeks and to... No Christmas caroling. I mean, I only have so much time in a day, folks. <laughs> and to watch um, the show Dexter over again, which I'm currently doing. And there's only so much time in a day. We thank you so much. Uh, um, at GASN Sports on Twitter. You can I've gone to the complete series of the Wonder Years. I am so in. I love it. That's my favorite show of all time. Hey, thank you guys so much. The fun just keeps going on. The Elite Sports Podcast will be back. And our guests will indeed remain elite. That is the elite part of our show. No doubt about it. The guests, thank you guys so much. Thank you to Tim Brando and Kevin Ross. We will be back 